What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Artist of Data Science Happy Hour. is Friday, December 2nd. It is the final Artist of Data Science Happy Hour, man. It is the last one. In the background, we got a little bit of Lupe fiasco going on. Uh, I used to listen to this track to pump myself up uh, before all the happy hours when, uh, when I was doing it for the first time just because being so public on LinkedIn, that shit was scary, man. That shit was scary. But I did it anyways, man. I did it anyways, and it was great. I haven't done many important things in my life, but I could say this is hands down one of the most important things I've ever done, not only for myself, but for all the people that have uh, taken part in this and just seen their careers grow and their networks grow and all that. So this is hands down the most important thing I've done in my entire life, uh, professionally at least, you know, having a wife and kids and stuff. That's pretty important, but couldn't have done all of this without you guys. So shout out to everybody here that's been, you know, A1 since day one. Um, you know, I wish David Langer was here, man. I mean, back in the pandemic days, he was like one of the OGs I was here all the time. Uh, but yeah, shout out to everybody that's made this uh, amazing, an amazing experience for me. I appreciate all you guys, every one of you. Yeah, man. Last one. Last one. <laughs> uh, Vincent Harper's five minutes away from a divorce. Yeah, I had to cover my ass there. Yes, wife and kids, obviously more, more important there. Uh, but no, honestly, man, professionally, it's probably the most hands down most important thing uh, just the network I've built and the network you guys have built and the connections that just happened from people being here it's it's amazing uh, so thank you guys for taking time out of your schedules every single week to join me for over two years man I think the first happy hour was October October something 2020 it was like the middle of the pandemic and these rooms used to be popping man we'd have like 50 people in here everybody just looking for a connection and and when to hang out and that was awesome people from all over the world too man Remember it was like middle of the night for some people and you guys were joining in i absolutely loved it but we're here we're here for one last one thank you my friends for joining in big week this week man a lot of stuff going on i haven't got a chance to play with it yet but open ai's chat gpt is uh is awesome <laughs> i just i read somebody's prompt uh i just have to read this because uh, it was that hilarious i thought it was the funniest thing ever um so i'm going to read this this uh this prompt here um somebody had a prompt to gpt uh chat gpt to uh, uh write a biblical verse in the style of king james bible explaining how to remove a peanut butter sandwich from a vcr uh and here it goes this is gpt's uh, response to that and it came to pass that a man was troubled by a peanut butter sandwich for it had been placed within his vcr and he knew not how to remove it and he cried out to the lord saying oh lord how can i remove this sandwich from my vcr for it is stuck and will not budge and the lord spoke to him saying fear not my child for i shall guide thy hand and show thee the way take thy butter knife and carefully insert it between the sandwich and the vcr and gently pry them apart and the pa and with patience and perseverance the sandwich shall be removed and thy vcr shall be saved and the man did as the lord commanded and lo and behold the sandwich was removed and the lord said verily i say unto thee seek not to put thy peanut butter sandwiches in thy vcr for it is not a suitable place for such things rather keep that sandwich in thy refrigerator or on thy plate where they belong and the man heeded the lord's words and from that day forth he kept his sandwiches in their proper place and was safe from trouble and woe amen i thought that was, that was the most hilarious thing ever uh gpt chat gpt with the jokes um also pytorch version version 2.0 released this week that's huge uh what else is going on man what else is popping off this week kenji man good to see you you done globetrotting you've been you've been bouncing all over the world man how you been yeah i've been great you're making me choke up harpreet uh, this, is, this is a monumental moment i got um no, I've been I've been really good back at home. 
in Hawaii for for a couple weeks. It was a lot of travel to Italy, Spain, all over the place. But I'm happy things are are kind of calming down now, and we can we I can take a little bit of time to to celebrate. Uh, I guess maybe the 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 begin the end and the and the new beginnings here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Monica, good to see you again. How you doing, Monica? I'm really good. How are you? Oh, great, man. Great. Just loving it. Loving, uh, got, you know, the, the next baby is on the way coming in just, you know, a week or two, uh, oh. literally any, any moment. Um, so that's about to get hectic. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, man, how, how you been? What's new with you? Um, so working for myself full time, nerd nourishment, um, doing like event reviews, putting together some stuff in the future, um, kind of playing around with some ducks this month. Um, I got a duck advent calendar, so I'm just playing around with different technologies and such, uh, gearing up for the new year. Yeah, that's awesome. Joe and Matt, good to see y'all here again. What's going on, y'all? Also, shout Joe, out to everybody else. Up? Good to be here. Awesome. <laughs> Dual mics. I love it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> We've improved the setup over time. Yeah, things are good, man. We're just kicking it. Matt's going to be uh, on the East Coast what, tomorrow. So, Yep. So yeah. if anyone's in New York, hit me up. Any, anyone else coming to Ethan Aaron's uh, happy hour on Wednesday? Oh, damn. In New York, huh? That's a big shot. No. All right. Cool. <laughs> wish, I could, wish I could be there, man. <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to everybody else in the room as well. Uh, Coast of Eric. Matt Blas in the building. Matt Blas, what's going on, man? Good to see you. Uh, David Fair and Abhinand Balaji. Good to have y'all here. So let's uh, let's kick off the discussion, man. Vin, what's going on? What's new? Vin's always been my go-to guy. I'm going to go to him uh, one last time for that happy hour here to, to kick off some discussions. Go for it, man. Oh, I wasn't ready. I thought <laughs> I thought somebody else could be taking. Sorry. Uh, what's new? Yeah, chat GPT. That's interesting. That's kind of new. Um, FTX meltdowns new. That's well, not really new, but if, if I, I think the FTX guy just taught us yesterday or the day before yesterday, if your company melts down, do not go on live television with a really smart interviewer. Find like the dumbest interviewer you can. If you're going to do an interview, do that one. Because I have a feeling that's coming for some data science companies where I don't think we're going to lose people a ton of money, but we're going to have some ethical challenges coming up. So yeah, if that's one of you, uh, you know, if that ends up being one of your companies, don't, don't do what he did. That, that was bad. I think attorneys call that incriminating yourself. I, I, well, especially I, with Andrew Ross Sorkin. I've actually met the guy before. He's actually really smart. Yeah. Not the guy you want asking questions in that way. So what, what was, what went down? I haven't, I haven't seen this or heard of it. I've been kind of disconnected from, from the news. Uh, but uh, what happened over the last, I mean, I know about the FTX meltdown, but this particular interview, what was uh, some key moments? Yeah, he went on um, CNBC at the New York Times, uh, I think it's Pitch Book or something like that is what they call the event. And he decided to pick the smartest person on earth, basically, from a financial standpoint to interview him. And somebody who has maybe a negative one tolerance for BS, uh, just... And he came out with no idea what he was going to say, except I had no idea what was going on. It wasn't me. It wasn't malicious. I should have done better. I was just an idiot, you know, because he allegedly stole like $600 million. And 
it looks bad and he had it looks like a shell companies were involved in offshore accounts and people are calling him the new bernie uh, uh, bernie madoff so it's never good, good when you and the guy who interviewed it was the bernie. same guy who like interviews warren buffett at the shareholder meeting and also yeah. like wrote the book too big to fail and is like a very popular financial columnist like not the guy you want to be uh actually he's the perfect guy you want to talk to if you want to get busted so that's awesome so um, I, I i swear this was a setup it had to have been <laughs> so yeah, it would have been like more funny guy. if they just like carted him off in cuffs like right after the interview like, <laughs> okay all right see ya it's been fun see via chat bot and not a person it's at this point yeah, it's probably just some like homeless dude with like curly hair that's that's uh it's actually him um anyway yeah but you Vander, what you're saying is that it's going to be you're going to think you can uh tech companies or ai companies going to be uh doing the same kind of song and dance i think we're like one or two years away from a few prep walks from just a security standpoint i think that's where we're going to mess up is we're going to oversell something to somebody who is powerful enough to bring accountability because that seems to be what happens is you either lose companies money or you make like a hedge fund go under because you sell them your your ai technology and it fails catastrophically and people lose billions and suddenly handcuffs come out and sec shows up so I think that's coming for us. I think we're going to have a security breach here in the next couple of years that gets somebody mm. put in jail. And we're also going to have a very public meltdown with some oversold AI thing. And that's going to be the next one where people lose a ton of cash or something mission critical fails infrastructure wide. And, you know, like a power grid goes offline or AWS goes offline for a month or, you know, something critical goes down where somebody has to go to jail. And I think that's coming. Who would go to jail in that case? Would it be like an IC data scientist who's writing the code, department manager, like who, like who's responsible, culpable, I guess, at that point. Depends how good the CEO is throwing people under the bus because that's, that's truly the, the differentiating factor is if the CEO is high quality at throwing somebody else under the bus, then it'll be that other person. But more likely than not, I think we're going to be seeing some examples made of C-levels, especially startup founders. I think that's where it's going. It'll probably be a startup, not a big company. Like what type of startups? Like uh, like startups that are leveraging maybe some type of generative model. Maybe they're building their startup on top of like GPT or you just not, <laughs> I don't want to implicate anyone. Uh, <laughs> You're asking, I get wild, but I can't do that. That's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that, you know, they, they send lawyers after me for. I can't, yeah. Yeah. I can't actually say, you know, names of anybody that would have a public infrastructure contract, but that might be where you want to look. Yeah. Shout out to Greg Coquillo in the building, as well as Keith McCormick, Christian Steinard. Good to have all y'all here. Jennifer Narden as well. Uh, Sunker Srinivasan, damn. And Eric Sims. This is great, man. It's like a family reunion. I love this shit, man. Uh, excited to have all y'all here. Um, yeah, so I'm curious. Like, okay, so there's a lot of companies coming out that are probably going to be leveraging, you know, these generative models like GPT or Stable Diffusion or things like that. What's like the, what's the? We're talking about infrastructure. I'm, I'm curious. What's like the infrastructure or ML ops look like in in that scenario? If anybody has, if that question even makes sense, I don't know. Just kind of riffing at this point no i'm like talking about critical infrastructure like your power grid your water 
the stuff that we would have serious issues if they went down internet backbones uh, you know a company like amazon's cloud infrastructure or any of the hyperscalers who use because you have to use something like that to manage anything that big and if one if a startup manages to convince uh, you know power grid that they're worth having and you should buy my ai it will never fail and it'll optimize your power grid I'm not saying anybody's done that or anybody that may have done that is fraudulent i'm just saying that would be the kind of thing that would get you put in handcuffs if it was power water you know nuclear power plant just any of those types of critical infrastructure and there have been companies who are beginning to get into that space where they're using models to do power grid you know it's a load balancing i think or something like that can't remember what the early use cases they're pitching are, but that's the, I think that would get you into a lot of trouble really quick. Custom, go for it. Some, at some level, this all comes down to um, responsible engineering, right? Uh, like that, that shit doesn't go away. It doesn't matter if we're now in the uh, artificial intelligence age or whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? So uh, what is responsible engineering? And at what point, especially with things like critical infrastructure, at what point are you saying, uh, that stability is more important than optimization or stability is more important than maximization of some kind of profit or time or reduction of cost. Um, the thing that I wonder is that how much are we reliant on, um, you know, uh, government-based agencies that are working on essentially monitoring and, and handing out these tenders how much are we relying on them to actually know what they're buying as opposed to rely on the people who know what they're selling right like it's it's a struggle finding experts to work in government sector because it's to a lot of people not as interesting right um like oh you don't get to do the ai or the robotics you get to manage five tenders and figure out which one gets to do the AI and robotics while you sit there with all of your expertise and years of experience and, you know, don't get any of that fun cake. Um, I, I think that's, that's an interesting struggle to, to have, right? Like how do we make that job more interesting? Uh, or do we just rely on the uh, common sense and the, you know, engineering uh, discipline of people uh, that are in the private sector that are designing all of these things. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, responsible engineering doesn't really go away, does it? Um. Greg, go for it. Well, I wanted to, uh, I, I, it's probably going to change gears for a little bit. So if Ken, you want to build up on what, what is being said, I'll let you go first and then I'll, uh, I'll come back. Ken, go for it. Yeah, sure. Real quick. I mean, I think some things like this have already already happened. Um, it's just that there weren't necessarily massive legal repercussions. If we look at what happened with Zillow, I think it was last year or earlier this year, where they, you know, mishandled how their entire machine learning infrastructure is is designed to work. They also didn't account for how a black swan event would impact their entire business. If we think about it in the term of what machine learning, what AI is not resilient to, it is events that we haven't seen before and we, we can't conceptualize with COVID or with any of these types of things. And so I think it could be 
like an oversight. We don't understand what's going on, but it could just be something that is outside the realm of what we believe possible that could break a lot of things that are in existence right now and cause really negative dire consequences. So I, I think it's just interesting to look at it from that perspective too. It's not just like bad oversight in the present or over promising or whatever it might be, but it's also this idea that, hey, this again, a black swan type event could happen. And we don't know necessarily how a lot of the things that are out there will respond to that. Well, aren't you having like a volcano eruption over in Honolulu right now? Or Oh, but Honolulu, come on. It's another island. I'm fine. Like, what I'm saying is it's like, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, but that's yeah, a, it could happen. It happens, exactly. you know, yeah. some people are like, yeah, we're ready for that. So Hard to be ready so, for things like that. Exactly. I thought you're on Honolulu. You're, you're in a different island, right? What, what island are you in? Well, I, I'm on, I'm on Oahu, which is where Honolulu oh, okay. is. Hawaii, like the big island is where yeah. the, the volcano is. That's no volcanoes on this one, luckily. Although oh, my girlfriend that. did go there today to go check out the volcano, which seems insane to me. So, are the pictures on Instagram? I mean, we it's, live not that far from Yellowstone. Which, if that thing blew up, I mean, we'd just be like really bad shape anyway. It's a preppers of data science episode here, so it's awesome. <laughs> uh, Greg, uh, go for it. Yeah. So, so I mean, I'm sorry for uh, joining a little bit later. You probably have gotten all your kudos. Uh, heartbreak for how you've you've helped the community man over the past what two years right two years uh, man. <laughs> two so years. yeah congrats man dude like i have this shirt for you today that's what you turned me into <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a machine learning model i love it uh, so hopefully <laughs> love it. you know i i go i go you know apply things but what am i gonna do when data drifts man we know more of these meetups right i'm gonna gonna be messed up but yeah uh thanks heartbreak man it's it's been great like especially for me like i talk about it sometimes man but i've been hit by imposter syndrome for years when it comes to like adventuring in ai or data science and things like that and you've made me feel comfortable you've made me feel okay to ask dumb questions and we're gonna miss that man i'm gonna miss that a lot so and you guys too, man, like these familiar faces, right? I I'm looking forward to continuing to talk to you guys. Vin, you know, you get 10 minutes with Vin, with Vin or Joe, your mind, your head starts to get so big. You know, I, I talked to Ken G, like this guy showed me a paper that changed my life on how to read papers fast. Dude, I never told you that, but this is amazing. Eric with his wits, Monica, I mean, you guys are all amazing, man. Serg, Russell. Um, but, you know, custom, this guy is like a monster in knowledge. And, you know, it'd be good to kind of like from time to time to keep in touch. But anyways, I digressed. Let me go back. So I got this like funny thing. It might sound crazy, but I feel like there's something happening in the AI world, right? Especially when it, we think about big machine learning models, like GPT-4 is coming. Look at chat GPT that just came out there. I feel like there's this thing. And then you, you don't want to make me think about that which is, do you guys feel like there's going to be this AI grid being formed where it's going straight to consumers? For example, it'll be where I have a utility bill every month where I can tap into any kind of AI feature. I add it on my phone, I add it on my device, and I tell it, hey, be checking my pulse and tell me what's going on. And then it's like a two cent bill that is sent to me every day. And then this grid, 
I feel like the big dogs are fighting to own that grid. It's like a power grid, giant power grid, where you're supplying these quick to onboard low code, no code kind of features on your devices and everything straight to the consumers. Because right now, when you think about GPT, when you think about all of these big models, it's kind of like B2B type thing. Like it enables smaller startups to make money with consumers. But now is like, are the big powerhouses looking to, you know, lodge these things straight to consumers where they can pay that small fee where it's not hurting their pockets, but they become increasingly dependent on these small things to make them be lazy and not think about those things we usually think about, like paying my bills, like checking my walks, like why are my feet, are my feet hurting? Things like that. Like, do you guys feel like this is where we're going with these giant models being born? Is Are we going into the age of big machine learning model power grid that will support our everyday lives? That was a question for anybody. I want to jump to Serge on this first, but I mean, I, and then, you know, if anybody else, I guess, Costa, Eric, Keith, I'd love to hear from you and anybody else really. But uh, uh, I would argue, man, I think we're already there. We just pay with our data, I think, to a certain extent. I think we're already there and we're already paying for it. Um, like, I don't know if, 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 like, if you guys updated the latest Zoom, right? Everybody raise your hand. You'll notice that Zoom will pick up and it'll suggest an action and that's you know that's computer vision there i don't know if you've updated to the to new zoom or not but if you raise your hand something will come up and it'll ask if you're willing to raise your hand uh that's that's right there for us and you know it, i think it's infiltrated that's the that's the reason i, I really started like Humphrey, that was a great prank i really no, no did it not work for you no no, you made everyone raise their hand as well. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure it's you a have to clap really, like really aggressively. You have to make a weirdest face. <laughs> if you make a, a a super frown, it'll put a frown emoji. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think we're we're already there. That's part of the reason why I think I started pursuing just learning more about deep learning is because we use it every single day without even realizing it. Meanwhile, people are 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 just thinking that you know deep learning is not useful it's not interesting or whatever like you can't get business value from it there's all these companies like making all this money from it it's, it's useful stuff but I'll, I'll pause i want to hear from my surge on this and then uh then then we'll go to uh keith i'd love to hear from you and then coast up uh surge go for it i i apologize but i even forgot the question <laughs> um at this point because uh you started talking about I can, uh you I, know. Can, I can quickly recap for you sir I can quickly yeah. recap for you. Are we moving towards some sort of like powerhouses fighting to get a hold of this, what we call, what I call like the huge machine learning power grid where yeah. that goes straight to consumers, right? So you may say, uh, Harper, what you said about Zoom giving you the capability to respond to you raising your hand, that's probably a model that's controlled by Zoom. But are we going in an age where you're going to have a few utility powers, like, you know, like few companies that give you power to your house that will own this, you know, AI grid where yeah. you can tap into to pay bills every month and so like, or you, do you feel like we're going in that direction? Yeah. Yeah, I think that could happen consolidation and in, in AI services. You know, the the companies, you know, like uh that already have cloud services, they have all these AI models off the shelf and and these could fail and and they're all interconnected and of course they're they're being used by uh companies that offer third party, you know, uh, home services, you know, like uh, security systems and, uh, you know, the, the very same systems that are already owned by Google and Amazon, you know, that 
provide services like Alexa and uh, what's the name, Ring and all those. Of course, they're already very intrusive and, and they they could they could uh, in a way, well, not only their their extension of their power and they concentrate that power, but you know, once they fail, people are gonna lose trust in the technology. And if if they don't fail, they're just gonna uh, keep uh, becoming more powerful. Uh, I, I I don't think I like that, which is why I don't uh, I don't have any of those things. I don't have an Alexa. I don't have a Ring doorbell or anything like that. I guess uh, at some point people are going to start calling me like uh, a Mennonite or something like that. <laughs> uh, Keith, let's go for you, for, uh, go to you. And uh, anybody else wants to ch- jump in here, Matt? I'd love to to hear what you got to say. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Not you know, don't raise your hand here, but. You- yeah, so I, I don't know if I have any um, kind of brilliant futurism uh, insight here on, on Greg's idea, but I did. It did resonate with me with something that I heard at um, AWS this this week. So I thought I would just share that. So I went to the um, the keynote by the automotive VP. I don't know who else might have been in Vegas this week. It seemed like all of humanity was in Vegas this week. But when I was listening to this keynote, I kind of figured that. It would be autonomous vehicles and stuff, which is always an interesting topic, but they spent quite a bit of time on something that's very much like the, you know, Apple watch or smart home type stuff that Serge was just talking about. The idea is that um, pretty much all of the car companies are going to want to do software updates um, over the air, but also something that I feel naive that I didn't see this coming, that once you've got that happening, because like Tesla does that now, I believe, right? They do software updates over the air, but it becomes a marketplace because the car companies will want to sell you things through this, uh, through this marketplace. Um, and uh, of course the insurance companies would want to get involved because the, then they can give um, folks option of usage-based pricing. So it was really interesting. And they spent, you know, it was a 90 minute keynote. So they had a lot of stuff to do, including to get clients to come up on stage, but they probably spent 20, 30 minutes on this whole, on this whole thing. And it was really, uh, it was really something, you know, uh, your car being turning into something kind of like your uh, Apple watch. Vin, let's hear from you. I think it's going to be kind of like in the streaming market right now where you have way too many different players and nobody wants to have eight different platforms and 10 different platforms. I don't want to have to subscribe to Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Meta, uh, Twitter, and every other, you know, et cetera, that that you can think of, plus all the business ones. And, you know, it's going to turn into one of those things where just it's a cluttered marketplace. There's not going to be a really critical differentiator and trying to have all of them to get the one thing that each one does great is going to be really difficult to to get widespread adoption because what everybody's what you're kind of talking about is a super platform or a super app and that developed in China because there was one choice you know China sort of allows monopolies to to exist but in the US, we're just such crazy fast followers that you're going to have as soon as one company figures out how to make some cash on this, you'll have 15 within a year or 18 months. And that's something that we do really badly is we don't 
do best in class, best in breed, and then go to market. We just go to market with what we have to be first. And that allows a ton of people to come in and because nobody really has the best product out there or has enough consolidation to be the choice, the super app. So we have all these kind of pseudo competitors that don't really compete with each other on quality. They're just kind of hanging out and they're willing to pick whatever they can get. But I think longer term where you're talking about, you know, just downloading and being able to use AI, it's going to be good because we're really bad at looking forward in the future and figuring out if I do this today, what does that mean for me in a year or three years? And especially with healthcare, that's going to be a huge application. And if you tie that to things like insurance prices and you know, other different types, not social credit, but, you know, almost like health credit where, you know, if I eat this donut, am I good? I'm going to work out an extra N times, you know, or whatever. Am I good? Can we do that? And having a lot of data about that, just being able to say, yeah, no, you can have a donut. You're good. You know, have a cookie, enjoy yourself. Or yeah, that beer is okay. Or no, that's your seventh beer. What are you doing? Idiot. And then there's, you know, consequences for it where you're looking at potentially paying higher car insurance or potentially having health insurance be impacted long-term by repeated stupid decisions. You know, then all of a sudden the extreme behaviors and then personal freedom, you know, so we're going to, we got a lot of iterations to go to get to the point where we have a good relationship with online social media and ai i think we've got a long long way to go with that but there's going to be benefits along the way we're just continually going to have to churn through somebody throws something to market and doesn't think about how it's going to wreck a, a ton of other things and then we have to clean up after it for two or three years and then the next one hits just as we're starting to get control of the last one i think we've got a lot of these waves still to go before we settle down into something that's a good relationship with technology. Then thank you. Uh, just a quick comment coming here from uh, LinkedIn from uh, Akmel side. If you guys don't know Akmel, you should, you should follow him. He's uh, he's awesome. Great content. Uh, did an interview with him a month or so ago. Uh, he says this happens with BMW. They sell heated seats on a monthly subscription. And I just found that to be absurd. That is absolutely, that is absurd. Um, let's go to uh, Joe and Matt, then let's go to Coastup, then Ken, and then uh, Russell, I'd love to hear from you on this as well. So uh, after Ken, if you wouldn't mind just uh, putting your uh, hand up so I don't uh, like uh, forget to, to get to you, uh, go for it. Yeah, it, it seems to me right now, like these models are still too brittle for these general purpose use cases. At the same time, this is probably gonna be some new startups business model within the next couple of years or when there's a next big startup wave. The same ones that go to jail that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> That's right, that'll be the next thing they found after their current startups go under. And then, yeah, just like Vin, I'm, I'm really interested to think about the long-term um, ethical implications, right? Like we're just dealing with the ethical implications of Twitter and Facebook being such a part of our lives for the last the big, the big models remind me a lot of where crypto was a few years ago with a lot of the hype and i think a lot of the promise um it's obviously got a different flavor but it does remind me a lot of the, the same sort of a, an early enthusiasm with it so you know um so we'll see i mean unlike uh crypto i don't think it, anything related to money just tends to attract like, like kind of scammy douchebags and so uh you know I, I hopefully that's not the case with these models but don't count them out um, anywhere where there's lots of money, 
Uh, there's going to be lots of uh, dorks. So, yeah, it's awesome. Couple anyway, Ben, you, we'll have to oh. talk about this in a couple of years, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we got to remember this conversation and move back to yeah. it. Yeah. It is it is recorded the last happy hour. That, that yeah, we have proof we talked about it then. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh it on LinkedIn saying within Web three that could be a possibility where transparency is the biggest foundation and user control how much data they'd like to share. Uh let's go to Costub, then Ken, then Russell. I'd love to hear from anyone else. And if you're watching and got uh questions or comments on LinkedIn, I'm I'm keeping an eye out. So uh let me know. Costub, go for it. So, so one of the things within the like med tech industry, right, is you have this thing called regulation, right? You you have TGA, you got the FDA, you got all these regulatory bodies that are extremely stringent. So, if I want to go and make a device that you have to wear invasively, non-invasively, and have to use that for some kind of medical health reason, I have to go through a bucket load of scrutiny a bucket load of scrutiny. I'm talking like your first your first one could take a couple of years to get through all of the regulatory requirements, right? Um, but the crazy, wild, insane thing is those are only for acute parts of human health, if you really think about it, right? Whereas I could build an app that manages sleep or claims to manage weight loss or claims to manage all of these other systemic things in in our lives and and this comes from a like serial user i've used every sleep app under the sun i've used a bunch of different fitness and weight loss apps and all of these things right but none like how much of them are actually as good as they purport to be right it's very difficult to really nail down okay which of these are good which of these are absolutely bogus like i've, I've tried some sleep tracking apps that i look at their their the somnograph and i just look at that going that's bs right like there's just no way that that's the somnograph that's coming out of a of a night's sleep like that right and there are others that are reasonably good for the technology that they have at hand like there's literal technological limitations on what you can do now that degree of data that we're playing with at what point do we realize that we're playing with fire when we're talking about behavioral things that hey this app got me into this behavior that got me to do xyz and that's creating all sorts of health complications for people down the track right if we're not sensible on how we build these apps if we're not well informed on how we build these apps we can actually have a net really negative impact on uh the wider health implications right because sleep and and weight are huge like you know if you don't get that right there's huge comorbidities later on in life with all sorts of things like links to alzheimer's links to uh, all sorts of other stuff i'm not a medical expert but you know um at the end of the day they don't go through any of the scrutiny any of the you know uh, regulatory zeal that you would otherwise see for things that are supposed to be impacting people's health yet they're impacting epidemic levels of health like entire demography uh, you know so a scale of things so it's it's a little bit crazy to me that that doesn't happen and i, I think we kind of come back full circle to the, to the discussion we were having before right is how do we get like i i see health like human health as essential infrastructure right like at the end of the day it's as essential as say electricity or gas or, or water right um so I, I, I've been meaning to chuck this one at you guys is uh, there is this concept of chartered engineering, right? And it's kind of really only really alive in the uh, civil engineering 
and the power electronics, like the power electrical engineering thing, where you cannot be a civil engineering firm building a bridge or a building without having a chartered engineer to sign off on the site plans, right, on the design. Uh, you need a chartered engineer to sign off on all of these things. Now, is that something or is there something similar? Obviously, that's a slow addition, like it slows down the speed of releasing software. But is that something that we should start to have an appetite for? Is there another way around it that we can do without uh, without losing the agility of software? Um, I just... Yeah, I don't know. Is there a value for that in, in our world, particularly with AI, right? Like software, you can build software that's so innocuous and small that you maybe don't need it. But when it comes to AI, when we're starting to see second order and third order effects, uh, it makes me start to think. Ken, let's uh, hear from you. Shout out to everybody else that just joined. Ben, good to have you here. What's up, Ben, Yusuf, uh, JRT, Patrice, uh, Eric Tonga, good to have all y'all here. Go for it, Ken. Okay, so I don't know if I can answer your question. I was going to take it a slightly different angle, actually going the opposite direction of the chain. And we talk about how, for example, like an app market or a service market, it's very fractured, right? Um, the thing to me, and I think the thing that's most interesting to people who are, are actually going to like truly change our future is the platform, right? So you look at how Apple, they, they basically dominate the platform of apps. They control the the faucet of where people can, can go in and look. Um, and I think we see it in the news very clearly with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg realizing that he truly missed the boat when creating the initial platform to be able to disperse these things on. And so I think, you know, you look at the metaverse, for example, his, his work with that is to control the platform where all of this is dispersed. And I think that's going to have such a massive implication on if there is one platform or a unifying platform that controls everything that goes out all all of these services together whatever it might be that's going to be interesting I mean, we talk about the not that the other things weren't interesting but that that's like the the scariest and and i wouldn't say the most looming threat but it's the most complex issue i mean you look at the the car example that was brought up before each individual car company by definition, they have their own platforms to, to launch services. In, in a, a different sphere where we have phones, where we have um, whatever like headgear, metaverse devices, that's still evolving. And if someone completely controls that, that essentially unifies a lot of power, all of these advanced AI technologies in a more singular place. Um, I don't think we'll ever have the like software type of monopoly like we do in uh, like like we see with WeChat in China but I think a hardware type monopoly can enable some of the really scary and and looming effects of a more software monopoly so I I think you know I don't really know where that's going but I, I think it's important to bring up and think about as well as as we approach this in the future Russell let's uh, go to you and then uh, after Russell let's go to uh, uh, Ben Thank you, Aubrey. Um, so jumping back to Greg's original question, I'd be very surprised if we go to one master model that's going to feed everything simply because there's so much competition in business. I think people want their own version or their own section of something and they'll market that their model is, you know, 
five points better than another model um, for various different reasons. And they'll try to uh, target this to different parts of society. So they'll say, you know, if you're if you're young and hip, you know, you want to go for this model rather than, than this model, because this is for the boomers and, and all of this kind of marketing language. And moreover, I, I think the biggest problem with business is that far too many businesses prioritize profit rather than service or product quality. So money tends to be what drives many of these decisions. And I think the same is likely to happen in all business, including the newer businesses, the development of, of uh, AI and ML models, etc. cetera. Uh, then moving on to some of uh, Kerstin's points, I think, yeah, absolutely. Some of these, uh, I, I made a couple of comments there. So, so you know, smartwatches have been great, um, but they're not perfect. I've, I have a smartwatch and I put some sleep apps on it. And I agree with you, guys. I think it's, you know, more hokum than not. And I'd, I'd, I'd put that up to the 90% hokum there. You know, I, I sleep well sometimes, but mostly don't. And, you know, I lie awake at night and just stay still and try and, almost meditate so much and it tells me that i've had rem sleep you know five cycles of rem sleep but i know it's not i think there's just some kind of a uh a, a sequence there that if you're still for a certain amount of time it splits things up and tells you you're doing things you're not and i've not found one uh, that persuaded me otherwise i don't use them now um but also some moral and ethical dilemmas for smartwatches you know because it tracks your movements and the things that you do. So I made one point that if you sign up to an insurance policy for anything and you don't make a declaration, say you've made a declaration that you're in perfect health, but your watch picks up, you've got some minor heart murmur, uh, and then you need to make a claim and the insurance company can can access your data that's provided from this uh, uh, smart wearable that goes to a service, say it's Apple Watch or, or um, Samsung or, or Fitbit or anything like that, if they can access it and then use that to refuse to pay out, that to me is an ethical moral dilemma. And I'm making a, a, a significant difference in my assessment from someone that is willfully trying to um, misuse an insurance policy than someone that legitimately does not know they have an issue. It's not been diagnosed. They were honest at the time that to me should not be an issue, but I imagine insurance companies wanting to maximize their you know, but probably would investigate that as a routine. So there's some severe moral and ethical dilemmas there, I think. Uh, and then rounding this back to Greg's question again, I think a single um, master model could probably help prevent that, but I, I don't think that's going to come anytime soon. I think we're, we're quite a long way from that because of business competition, et cetera. Russell, thank you so much. So Greg's question was about this uh, uh, this future where, where you know, only a few big superpower companies can build this AI model power grid. So similar to like, uh, you know, how we have utilities and services right now, water service, telephone service, so on and so forth. Uh, is there a future where we have AI services where we just tap into a little bit and, and kind of uh, pay uh, to use that? Greg, hopefully I... Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a direct-to-consumer and you know i can afford to subscribe to a few to gain societal advantage right uh check on my health when i run when i i'm work at work and i'm stressed and it's guiding me and i pay a monthly bill on and i become increasingly dependent on these kind of like little features that i can onboard on my devices 
or sensors that I put on myself and things like that, uh, where only a few, you know, power grid service suppliers can supply these, where they're skipping the line. Like right today, you see big models like GPT enabling other startups that then create services for either other businesses or consumers. But I'm thinking about this AI power grid that goes straight to consumers like you and I, and we're just becoming independent, like increasingly dependent on that to survive, to be, to have societal, you know, advantages and things like that. Do you see a future like that, Ben? I guess that's what my, my question was. And Mark, I'm happy to see you too. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yes, it's this um, token of the matrix for real, Eric. <laughs> so, so Greg, I think this, uh, I think there is, and I think the future, I'll, maybe I'll just speak to my, uh, building a monolith from the business side. Cause I think it has to exist on the business side before it goes to the consumer or the home side. So a fun, maybe a bit of a provocative question or a fun question to ask this group, who's the smartest data scientists in this meeting right now. And, and I, like, there's a lot of really, really smart people here, some pretty profound people with a lot of experience, but the point I'm trying to make is if we actually pooled all of our experience where we are, you know, we're a team of 26 people, I could probably bring in panels of people to find out that we have gaps, not, not an individual, like we as a group have gaps in data science, loss functions we don't know, methods we don't know, failure points we don't know. And so what that means is you will have a business that becomes a monolith. Their open source won't be able to keep up with the number of failure modes or the, the shared knowledge. Um, and so it will be a business that's collecting all of them. And so I think we're, we'll start moving away from build it, build it yourself, which most of us on this call, we lived during the build it yourself era. And eventually um, when it comes to time to value, that will continue to be accelerated to the point that um, I like to talk about Jarvis for everyone. So in the future, we will have Jarvis for everyone. And that will be a very helpful thing to have at home. And some people might think that begins to sound dystopian. Um, it, what one fun theme to think about there's some complicated ethical discussions around personification or uh, proactive learning so one example would be my kids are me as a parent i'm frustrated that oh this is so gross there's people eating in the tv room again and my home knows that i'm in charge like my wife and i are in charge and my home suggests that i can turn off the tv the next time that happens which is actually a really fascinating thing. So the home suggests that. That means the home is proactive enough to know it can collect the data or it's already collected the data and it can execute on AI model. There's no data science. Like it was all, no code I think escapes to automatic speech. Uh, but maybe Greg, react to anything I've said or I, I think the, the key thing I think about is experience capture becomes a black hole where no individual data scientists, even today, they're already losing the fight with experience capture with these bigger AI companies out there. Mark, let's, uh, let's go to you. Good to, good to see you here, Mark. That's good. Uh, first of all, uh, excited to be here and Harpreet just want to highlight how amazing thing you created and, and carried on for a while. I'm sad it's the last one, but I know you're doing me doing greater things moving forward, but well, to respond to, to Gray's questions and, and Ben's comments, um, I recently went to Transform X conf a conference live, and I can probably you can probably find the episodes, um, the talks on YouTube. But they had a lot of the people who were um, like CTOs or CEOs of like Google and like OpenAI and all those things. And the argument they were making is that 
we've always had these big models. The thing is, is like, when do we release them to the public? <laughs> because there's so much responsibility and ethical concerns regarding that. One thing that they describe kind of what a future is, and that's why I kind of jumped in, because like Greg had this really nice analogy of kind of like this AI kind of power grid, is that similar to what we have for like the App Store or the Google Android Store, um, where you have this platform and people build businesses on top of that, we're going to be seeing the argument they made is that we're going to be seeing that these massive uh, AI platforms that no one really can compete with, it's just how much compute it takes to build them and stuff like that, are going to be platforms that people build on top of. Um, so that was an interesting thing coming from that talk. I mean, it's well beyond me to even have like, here's my opinion on how the future is and more so repeating what they're saying in those talks. But it was interesting to hear a lot of those leaders saying that it wasn't like this happening now. It's more so they decided to open this up now, which is a slightly different thing, knowing that like with these large companies, they've always had these kind of these capabilities as a matter of how do they commoditize and make a market out of it. Yeah, I was listening to um, the Machine Learning Street Talk podcast. Uh, I think it was the most recent one that had um, uh, Aiden Gomez, um, CEO of Cohere, one of the authors on Attention is All You Need. And he was talking about just that, trying to build a platform where people can build build on top of. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, we'd love to hear from anyone else, man. Anybody else wants to, to jump in here, please let me know. Anybody else got a question uh, yes, or comment? I, I got a, a follow-up question for, yeah. for Ben. You, you put something about Jarvis there, and it's, and it's interesting, right? So you talk about, like, everyone will have a Jarvis at home. You know, my concern is that how how affordable, how accessible will it be right like typically you know you see when you see technologies like that it's always like available to only a few and then over time it becomes more affordable then you have you know this lag in terms of like people who have access to new technology that can help them like improve their lives so how do you see this kind of commercialized and kind of like on an even playing field uh without affecting like, like pockets of society versus affecting the most you know things like that yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think Jarvis for everyone, I see that as being um, relatively affordable, almost like um, Alexa. But the the fun one to think about is the home droid. So the home droid will start out being extremely expensive, like it's a million dollars, and this will be the home droid that'll do your dishes. Um, but just like the iPhone versions coming down, the old version of the home droids, you know, used maybe more accessible, and but eventually you might get to a point where you can have a home droid that is less than a hundred thousand dollars to do things to clean pick up clean you know to walk the like it it there's some very weird realities we could get into because um yeah uh, hopefully that's a bomb into the group to just open up what is it okay to have a home droid what does the is the can the home droid be stateful with memory if it's stateful with memory that means your your kids will form an emotional connection with it that hey sally how was school sally was hard billy was mean again oh that billy like that that becomes an ethical concern because what does the droid say and how does that influence your kids development and just like you take a dog back to the pound do the kids grieve you upgrading the droid you know if um i don't know is that question too weird for the group there's yeah. an there's an episode of uh i guess Black greg's Mirror. question was greg started the greg started the thought cycle. <laughs> sorry there's uh there's an episode of the black mirror uh show where it was that like a, a home assistant a personal home assistant that uh lived inside of this like 
Alexa type of device, but the home assistant was actually a upload of that person's psyche. Uh, so it was like that person's digital clone that had all the same thoughts and feelings. And that's why that home assistant knew that person so well. Uh, trippy episode. I'll see if I could figure out the, uh, the uh, title. or. Well, it was also in Silicon Valley. The, the the billionaire had a uh, robot that would talk to his kid and put him to bed. So the, but it was so the billionaire wouldn't have to talk to his kid. He's like, oh, I, not my fault. You have to go to bed now. So um, I'd get it for that, I guess. <laughs> Coach Lewis, go to you. Uh, shout out to everybody else that's joining. See everybody in the room. Just want to say hi uh, to to the new people. Yusuf is here. Good to see you here, Yusuf. Yusuf is uh, I've been uh, uh, liking his content. Uh, good friend of Kosov's, I believe as well. Um, go for it, Kosov. Yeah, I think are we are we reaching too far for an example? I mean, I don't think we have to reach all that far for for an example of this kind of thing, right? Like, uh, take 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 it back to healthcare, right? The latest and greatest in surgical technologies is available in certain places, and at the other end of the spectrum, you're nowhere near. You're nowhere near, right? Like, and as we go, like, I think I think the difference is we. Like maybe 100 years ago, 120 years ago, we were creating more fundamental technologies, right? Like steel, uh, right? Like we were we were talking about steel, we were talking about train tracks, we were talking about things that by nature were um, lower abstraction, right? And and the the ability to jump from uh, essentially, for, uh, for example, from data to insight, right? The to be able to jump from data to insight. It was a lot smaller of a jump back then. So it was a lot more accessible because more people were in a position to take advantage of it in the first place, right? But now those kinds of abstractions that we're leaping forward with new technologies, particularly with AI and things like that, the and the people that are enabled to use it early on are already at a head start. So you're going to see that gap in technology. So you're right, like health tech, for example, you create something great, only a few people are going to be able to afford it. Jarvis, only a few people are going to be able to afford it. But first, eventually more people will catch up. But that I, I think the lag between the the first, um, what's called the, the people that are early to the system and then the people that eventually get access to it for accessibility reasons, that lag is actually growing as technologies are able to abstract more things and enable us in a in a in a more impactful real world kind of way right um i don't know if that changes with the nature of software versus hardware but when you're talking about uh home assistance like hardware there is a real manufacturing cost that comes into it whereas with software it's a little bit more ubiquitous we're able to create it on android phones that work even on you know really low low cost hardware um how much of it is linked to hardware how much of it is linked to software is an open question to me but the other side of it is that yeah i think the more that we enable the more that you need to be in a position to actually make use of that for it to actually be a viable early usage um i'm rambling a little bit because i i've just completely sidetracked into that whole thing about how much of it is because we're hardware that we can't like afford something versus software right like we've got mouse droids in one side of the world that i mean i say mouse droids i mean robot vacuum cleaners uh, but on the other side of the world we're still using broomsticks right um yeah and to be honest we still use broomsticks after the mouse droids because let's be honest they're like 90 percent of the job right so so ben, ben uh, you said something about like 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 you know, potential for like your daughter grieving right if you deprecate that this robot they've attached themselves to and I'm going to say something that may sound mean or put me in trouble. I don't know. 
but you know, my wife is in healthcare and she talked about like often, you know, getting AI assistance to older folks. And maybe this is like one of the consumers that could be a success story for these kind of like AI assistants simply because the lifespan of an AI assistant is longer than the person using it, right? So, you know, when the person passes away, you don't have to deal with like legal implications of somebody getting so sad because now their friend is no longer with them to cope, help them cope through the day, right? So, you know, maybe we've already found like successful use cases with these in healthcare for the folks who are at the later stage of their timeline life, you know, where they can leverage these robots to cope with life until they pass on. And now you can get rid of any implications of you're really killing their mental state as a kid. Now that you have to take the robot away, kind of like taking the dog away from them. And now they're traumatized forever and things like that. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Yeah. You, I guess they wouldn't be wor as worried about grief, especially if they're on hospice or something. But one, one thought, Greg, is we already experienced grief with objects. Um, when I sold my AMG Mercedes seven years ago, I was sad for many, 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 many months. And as you can think about objects like that you've had or owned, like if it gets broken or stolen or something, like you don't get over it tomorrow. And so I think there's different stages of emotional attachment that we can have to non-sentient things. And this just takes us into a new category. Um, but um, I, I think grief is part of life. Uh, all of my kids have had pets and all of their pets have died. And shocking ways like like something's my my daughter's tortoise was attacked by a neighbor's dog and and we had to euthanize it and so like that's life it's um it, and there's this theme if uh, uh if you live a life with love then you're guaranteed to experience uh the limits of our grief yeah cool shout out to makiko i thought i saw makiko here a second ago makiko what's going on uh, Makiko is definitely the smartest data scientist in the room for sure. Imagine if all of us did actually come together and make a company or start working together. That'd be very, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, Greg, great, great discussion kicking off there, man. Absolutely love it. Uh, any follow-up thoughts or questions or uh, or anything? Ken G said Ben would fire him on the first. I would, I would love to hear Mikiko about that. You know that 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 dystopian things that we were discussing so i don't know let's go to uh, let's go to patrice first i heard it going oh patrice, uh, sorry and we'll let mikiko warm so, up i go i'm hoping um you'll say a little bit more about what's next to you but uh for you harpreet but i'm wondering if uh that might be if it's not what you're planning a next thing like there's a there's a um um scott page has this theory of diversity that he's explained like those old fashioned scantrons um, tests where there's like, you put your answer in, then there's holes. And like, when you have a specialist in something, they know all about their type of thing. And the idea is like, um, there's a diversity of knowledge if you bring in people who have domain expertise, experience expertise, all different kinds of um, like diversity in what their knowledge bases are. But wouldn't that be fun if, if this were the last artist of data science, but there were some way to um, have a future form of um, that collective knowledge that you've um, 
facilitated here. And I have one question for you. How, if Did you think, like, did you have a conscious approach to putting this group together or was it more organic? Like, I'm going to get a bunch of people together and see what happens. How did you make this happen? If you have anything on that that you want to share. Yeah. Uh, Scott Page, Scott E. Page is awesome, by the way. Um, I've actually interviewed him on a podcast. There's an episode with Scott Page and myself. Go check that out. The model thinker. Oh. Um, uh, I actually it came together organically. I just told people I'm doing this thing. Come hang out. Like I think the first office hours was definitely Eric was there. Uh, Eric and uh, Tashi and Wiko. I don't know if you guys remember Wiko. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, and a couple other people. Small Carlos was there too. Carlos Mercado. Uh, and then like a few few like weeks after that, Mark came, started hanging out, and then I just started inviting people. Like, hey, I do this thing. Um, you know, this is before I had like creator mode and like access to like live anything so everything was kind of like closed uh and i was like i just do this thing when people come together we just talk um come and hang out if you want and then people just started coming and and people yeah just started coming and showing up all the time and i loved it um so yeah it was very organic i would say the way this all unfolded um i don't know if that answers your question i'll pause there to yeah, just um, just one more thank you from me to not only to you, but to everybody who's been here, because our artists of data science kind of coincided with my um, first kind of starting to think about the world of data science. And it was really, really helpful to have um, a bunch of alternative views on things I was exploring and hearing. Um, and um, yeah, I, I appreciate that this um, that I was able to um, rely on this group to have interesting um, new different things to say um, than other places and all in one place. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for coming. I could not have done it without you guys. Like seriously, I don't know if I would have, like I probably would have, like if people didn't come, like honestly, if nobody came to the office hours, the happy hours, whatever, like I obviously wouldn't have done it. So uh, you guys kept coming, kept showing up, kept kept having great conversations, and um, yeah, that that just kept kept doing it, man. Uh, yeah, Makiko saying, uh, Makiko, come on, man, where are you at? I came to see you. Like, where's there you go? Uh, yeah, Makiko saying that uh, this helped with quarantine loneliness. It definitely did. Makiko was the only person I knew before uh, starting this, like that I'd met like in person. I actually knew. Uh, we go back, man. We go back, and I'm excited here. Makiko and Mark are here. We got some going on together. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been slow to, to move on that, but trust me, the ideas are simmering. I've got notes, uh, and what we're doing next is going to be awesome. We're, uh, you know, I'll, I'll fill out that Notion page for you soon, Mark. Um, but that's going to be interesting. Um, and I'm excited to, you know, focus efforts on that. The, the few hours that I have on Friday are going to be dedicated to that, and then the new channel that I got kicking off, the Deep Learning Channel. Uh, the Deep Learning Channel will be um, just all about deep learning, and I'm starting first from... Um, like doing deep learning straight from just nothing but like Python and NumPy and just working at it from there. So from first principles and right now I'm uh I'm trying to figure out Manim, uh, M A N I M. That's the um that's like the the software where uh three blue one brown uses to animate his videos. So I'm trying to like learn that and trying to figure out okay if it is it worth the time investment or should I just draw stuff by hand and and explain stuff. Um, but I'll be checking that out uh, as well. Um, but yeah, shout out to Mikiko Simbo. What's going on? Good to see you as well. Uh, how y'all doing, man? What y'all up to? 
trying to figure out who has the mic. Hey, hey, sorry we couldn't join earlier, but we were uh, doing a team meeting. Somebody you want to say hi? What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. Good to see you. Hi, right, Simba. So, uh, oh, there's Joe and Mike, Joe and Matt, too. <laughs> you guys watching on a small screen there. <laughs> um, the the question that 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 Greg had, I uh, would love to see if you guys uh, have any uh, input on that. Greg, just uh, kick it off one more time because that, that was a great discussion, uh, and I'd love to hear Mikiko's input on that. Yeah, so 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 Mikiko, I've had I've had this like crazy dystopian sound sounding like theory uh, uh, about like this future coming up where you know a few companies will have control of the, what I call this AI power grid that goes straight to consumers. Uh, nowadays, when you think about GPT, uh, they go to, you know, uh, they enable a lot of startups who build, you know, technology on top of it and serve it to more businesses or consumers. But now, you know, it, are we going into the ages of, you know, AI power grid where, you know, as a consumer, I can just have a utility bill for all of the ML or AI based features that I download on my devices or uh, tools to uh, enhance my life, whether it's to monitor my feet when I walk, uh, or my my stress level at work, uh, or you know anything that I do in life where I become increasingly dependable uh, uh, on it. You know, so are we or will we get to that point where a few utility companies or AI power grid utility companies will serve us these things that make us increasingly dependable on them uh, to do things uh, uh, in life? So, what are your thoughts there? So I, I'm gonna, uh, so I'm gonna say my piece. But actually, it would be fun to also get Simba's take on this. So uh, let me just draw the example of utilities. So most people don't realize that, for example, solar in the U.S. If you were to trace, like, for example, uh, wherever you live in the U.S., you probably get an advertisement for some kind of solar company, right? Residential solar. It could be insert name that's got green or planet or sun or light or bright someplace in there right um so the way a lot of those work for example so you would think that it's a competitive market but it's really not for a couple of reasons one uh energy markets are not competitive um so you do have like certain you do have like an oligopoly in terms of uh power purchasing trading supplying all that jazz uh the second part is that like that is an industry for example where it could be different, but the average like sales life cycle. So a solar panel, right, is X thousands of dollars. It's a pretty big purchase. And also buying and selling energy can be kind of complicated. So even though you have what seems to be competitive local companies, a lot of them actually end up being sub uh, subsidiaries of bigger companies or they're uh, sales and marketing channel partners. Um, so, for example, I worked at Sunrun, which is one of the large residential solar companies. Um, the Solar City is another one that people are very familiar with. But a lot of those companies, they seem to be competitors, but they actually have a lot of like integrations and, and channels and partnerships that are not necessarily visible to like the common consumer or the consumer that's purchasing energy or buying panels, right? So I think you'll get something that is kind of similar to that only just quite a bit more fragmented, where even if you think you're basically paying into a competitive market, uh, it's actually not. 
but once again, like you're not going to, but you're not going to necessarily know that unless you have domain uh, expertise in that market or, um, I don't know, unless you like to read industry reports at which, um, you must be all fun at parties, but, um, no, I'm kidding. I think that that's really fun. So, I mean, that's kind of my take and the other, um, and like, can you, can you recommend this book to me a long time ago? It was about, um, uh, the globalization and, and, uh, militarization of like AI. I forgot what, what book that was, but like the AI superpowers. And I think that's also another thing that you'll see, but Simba, what do you think? Do you think there'll, there'll be a, a grid of a like, grid of, of- so to make sure I understand the question, the question is essentially like, are we, is all the kind of every AI functionality in every company going to kind of be dependent on like two companies models? Is that kind of generally what it is? Kind of like more like us humans, like consumers will be dependent on a few utility, you know, providers yeah. of AI features like low code onboarding. Like I can say, yeah, I want to purchase this little AI features here and embed it in my device. And now it's serving me and I'm paying a monthly bill for that service kind of thing. I mean, I think it will happen to an extent the same way that there's like AWS, Google Cloud, like Azure. Like it does kind of consolidate around the big players because there's a certain like level of scale you need to be able to train something like a large language model um, or any of these foundational models. Um, point is is that most of those things is kind of input or input and i mean they mostly output embeddings that people are just using for their own specific use cases anyway so i think it will happen um i don't think it's a major like risk factor is issue as much as as it would be as much of a risk factor issue as like aws you know, being as centralized as it is, and like if AWS goes down, like this probably this Zoom chat would go away. Um, uh, it's kind of my take. Uh, thank you very much, Pikiko and Simba. I'd love to hear from Yusuf on this. Yusuf, if you want to jump in and let me know, uh, I used one of Yusuf's tips earlier today when I was coding. He said, "Don't do um, for I in range land of something. Use enumerate instead." And I did that. I started doing that. Thank you, Yusuf. I uh, would love to hear your uh, take on this. Also, quick comment. This is why we need more citizen data scientists, because they will be the anarchists of the data science machine learning world in the future. You train up more citizen data scientists, you get more like badassery, like stable diffusion, my friend. Community developed and trained. Yeah. Right? Straight up. Yusuf, go Yeah, I'm usually, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm usually a lurker. I lurk on LinkedIn, but um Kostub, I used to work with Kostub um in our last job and he's like this is the last one you have to join and then like okay I'll join um so thanks Harpreet thanks everyone I'm gonna miss especially my two favorites just keeping it 100 Greg and Vin um I'm gonna miss the takes from you too uh thanks um in terms in terms of my take on this I think for things that rely on data like it might be the case but for things that rely on compute as the compute costs go down and it becomes easy for lesser players to have the kind of compute that the bigger players have now 
it would be hard to consolidate things that rely on compute. But the data advantage, I think, will remain and things that rely on data, that's more likely to happen. Yusuf, thank you very much. Uh, see if there's any other questions or comments coming in. Uh, Ben's talking about a AI therapist. I think that'd be awesome. I would probably see a AI therapist more sooner than I would see a human one. Um, like it's been on my to-do list this year is to find a therapist. Uh, is that like a GBT uh, version of like BetterHelp or something? BetterHelp, huh? I've never heard of that. Oh, you could sign up online for different therapists. They have them on every podcast, so you should use them. Get... Huh. You can start reading like BetterHelp ads on your podcast. That'd be pretty funny. So. You, Joe, you could transcribe. There are all these TikTok and Instagram therapist influencers. You could transcribe all the <laughs> advice they're giving. And then you would just have that response. Like, there you go. You're done. You got to be your best self. You got to get out there. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could do that with uh, professional coaches as well, right? You could also do that with fi with finance gurus on YouTube. Just scrape all the YouTube channels, create a model. Uh, you could come up with the ultimate uh, crypto crypto guru bot, right? That's That's something I'd love to see tomorrow. That would make my day. I mean, that oh, could be amazing. possible, right? Aren't there, like, isn't there like an extension of stable diffusion that can generate like movie-ish scenes? Uh, I think I've seen something like that or heard of something like that. Plus like- I can see, <laughs> I, can, I can see legal legal folks with cufflinks, like their cufflinks must be tangling with like legal implications, copyright implications, right? So, and so and this, all of these things. <laughs> so this company that we're all building, we're gonna create an AI bot version of Sam Bankman Freed, right? That, that's that's the goal that's the ultimate you goal. said that not us so <laughs> let's go to maybe Yusuf. jordan belfort matt said i don't know that'd be, that'd be funny too so. are you muted yusuf i have a question for everyone i'm sure you saw the latest gpt stuff like um how incredible the text generation is like um did you see like the one way oh, uh explain why this algorithm implementation of like bubble sort is wrong in the 70s slang right it just it was mind-blowing really what do you think the impacts are going to be of such technology on the creativity of writing like if you imagine in the future someone who creates content can just be like write me a post on delayed gratification and just boom boom right like how do you think that's going to change how content's created from a writing perspective? Yeah, I think I remember seeing that uh, it was like stayed in the style of like a, a uh, gangster. And I was like, hey, you see here, the problem here with this. Is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there's already companies out there, like I think Jarvis is one of them. Jarvis AI is actually a company that does like help with uh, copywriting um, and stuff like that. But yeah. Uh, I'm excited for it because I think it's just augmenting human creativity. I think at the end of the day, the prompt goes in, uh, the stuff comes out, but it's still the human that has to like look at the stuff that comes out and determine if it's decent or not. And then, you know, add their own kind of spin to it and remix it. Uh, but Kosa, let's hear from you. Here's where that breaks down, right? Like, so on a, on a generalized, when you're, when you're creating generalized content, fantastic. Right. When you create, like, like you look at it with, um, we were talking about, uh, therapy influences, right? Um, a lot of their content at a general level, very, very powerful, very good, very useful, right? 
Um, but how do you individualize that? If you had to individualize the output of something like GPT-3, if you had to create generalized content, fantastic. But at the end of the day, if I had to, I had to ingest therapy, it has to be specific to how my needs are, right? So how specific could you actually make it? How responsive could you make it to the nuances of human psychology, particularly from like a therapy standpoint or from a financial advice standpoint or from any of those things, right? Like even from a, like, I mean, Yusuf, you and I were talking about this a few months ago about uh, how do you create like brand content, right? You could auto generate brand content at some point without needing to spend as much energy. Uh, how much of that then can you actually nuance, like how nuanced can you get with that brand content that's being generated and how kind of generic does it become? Um, is, is is kind of my tack on to that question uh, almost is to say this could get really good for generalized, but what's the step that you'd need to make to make it nuanced enough to deal with individual, um, the individual aspect of that, uh, particularly with therapy bots, particularly with branding bots and things like that. Mark, saw you had your hand up, but uh, I guess maybe you, uh, oh, I was a tangent, so uh, yeah. that's kind of related. But I can I can hold off to that later. Just just an idea I have for all these different creative, generative AI. Let's go to uh, Mikiko, Yusuf, then Greg. Yeah, in terms of nuance, costed like if if it's able to mimic a seventies gangster slang, why couldn't it mimic the nuance that you have potentially? So it could like be fine tuned on your stuff and then not need much data and just keep generating content that you generate, right? Um, that's my take on the nuance. Scary shit though. <laughs> Greg, let's hear from you. Yeah, I guess the questions that I haven't been able to answer and I'm, I think about constantly when it comes to like generative AI is like one who owns like the output, like the pop, the the rights to the output, right? And then and then who needs to be rewarded, right? So for example, a lot of the things that they get trained on, you know, it may be somebody else's code, it may be somebody else's art and things like that, right? So when, when the AI generates a, an answer uh, in a certain style, you know, does the artist, original artist that gave their data for that, you know, model to train on, does it get a commission on it? Or should uh, he or she get a commission on it, right? Um, and then, you know, I, I understand that, you know, the person who created the prompt should own the copyright of the output, but at the same time, you know, if I'm an artist or a copywriter who, you know, willfully gave my data for that model to be trained, uh, should I get a little bit of commission on that output, right? Who, you know, that gets consumed, uh, down downstream, uh, you know, and, and with that, you know, how does all the legal implications, uh, uh, you know, uh, take place around that, you know, so I, I keep thinking about those things. So when I see something like, you know, chat, the chat GPT, is that what it's called? Uh, I think about that a lot uh, in terms of uh, how does everybody uh, benefit from it? Because I, 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 I can think of many cost centers for maintaining a large language model, uh, but there's got to be some sort of like payments to uh, people who give their data for training this model too, as a cost center too. So uh, that's just my take. I'm wondering, like, does the person who created the keyboard, does he get a cut of royalties every time somebody gets paid on Medium? You know what I mean? Like, 
I hope that analogy is making sense. I'm just kind of saying like something something is 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 a tool for people to to use, right? Um, yeah, that's 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 the thing I like that they should have there. It's like, yeah, it might be sampling a bunch of different things, but we do that naturally throughout life. We're inspired by a bunch of different things. We take in ideas, meld them, mesh them together, and create something new from them. Do I necessarily have to go and say, oh yes, by the way, this idea for this startup I had came to me while I was walking down the street and I saw a billboard and now I have to give these guys like 0.005% of my revenue or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, that's that's the the issue I have with that is like the, you know, like the, for every house that gets built, do we send a royalty check to the inventor of the hammer? You know what I mean? Uh, let's go to Mikiko and, uh, and then after that we'll uh, start to wrap it up. I've got to head, head to a uh, hockey game. So, and this is like something that I was talking about with Cardic So Cardic, uh, for people who know my better half, um, right? He's a designer. He makes his living off of uh, making really beautiful stuff. Um, and the thing that we were both discussing is that like right now, for example, to generate um, the GPT-3 images or assets. Uh, okay, so you throw in a prompt and you get an image. Uh, can an artist actually work with that? Yes, but that's actually not how most designers will work with assets, right? When you are uh, working in Photoshop or Illustrator or whatnot as a designer, you tend to work in layers. So for example, your background will be a layer, your uh, items within it will be a layer. So I'd argue that like if you, for people to say that generative AI is like enabling artists, you would have to show me that the output, for example, like very strictly, is in fact in a form that an artist would actually use in their workflow. Because right now, if you do an image or you do a video, it just spits it out, like as a single file. Maybe as a video, you might get the image and the audio. Uh, but once again, like that's not actually how most artists work. So to a certain extent, right, like I think if we're, we're going to make the argument that um, we want it to be enabling, we want it to be assistive, uh, we kind of need to actually show proof of that. Uh, something that I thought was very cool that MailChimp did was, so we had a product called uh, Crave Assistant, right? And so our main customers are small, medium-sized businesses. And uh, they actually use generative AI in a way that was meant to provide value to the small, medium-sized businesses. How do they do this? Well, the uh, customers or the businesses would provide their like design assets so color, palette, logo, uh, sample uh, body text, right? And then we would essentially generate uh, transactional emails or marketing campaigns using the uh, assets that they provided, right? So the goal wasn't to try to replace their business. The goal was to actually automate like a low hanging fruit task that for example, if they were to take it to Fiverr to try to have to design every single asset, not only is that kind of sort of dull work for a designer, uh, but it's also something that would be like very hard to price and like batch, right? Uh, but that's not to say that they would have to replace their designers, right? Because at the end of the day, you still need to have new creative, unique assets to put into the training pipeline to essentially get a better, more personalized um, output, right? So there, I think the the use case was very, very clear to me as to how generative AI was like helping our customers or users. But I think in a lot of cases, um, what ends up happening, so for example, Copilot, the reason why a lot of like engineers and open source contributors were really upset about the way Copilot was developed was because essentially Copilot had just been trained on all GitHub repos, regardless of the actual license that was attached to that repo. So with open source, right, there are certain things you can and cannot do depending on the license that is uh, part of that project. But I, at least initially, Copilot was trained on everything. 
and no attribution was given. I think that, and there's also some other examples, right? Where the design elements or the style was directly like ripped off like a training data set and no attribution was given to the artist at all. Now, all of us get really mad when people steal our LinkedIn posts, right? I know a lot of us that has, have had that happen to us. We get really mad when it happens. How is it suddenly that it no longer applies to like this other use case? Like, why is it that our LinkedIn posts are holy and, you know, sacred, but an artist who spent like 10, 15 years developing their skill set, they create this body of work that's then used in a training model where they don't even get any attribution. Why is that suddenly okay? Especially if they rely on that for their living. So that's just kind of my, my two cents. Kostlip, go for it. Because it's cheap. Because ultimately, like we've come down to this conclusion so many times on this on this happy hour that things are run purely for the benefit of profit. The way we the way we uh, essentially look at entire economies as just their GDP breaks that entire psyche, right? Where we're looking at productivity as just the sellable asset. So if you can make something for cheaper, then it's worth doing. Right. If you can write code for cheaper, then it's worth doing. If you can uh, create uh, image assets cheaper, apparently, according to our current society, it's worth doing irrespective of the uh, implications of genuine uh, infringement of creativity. Right. And, and, and people's ownership over their own content and material. I, I totally agree with you. Mickey. It's completely insane. Right. Um, I, I, I don't. I, th I think to a point, you see this in the music industry as well. You see a lot of resampled material. It, like I, I've been listening to one song and I'm like, hang on one sec. Isn't that just the intro riff to like Michael Jackson? That's straight out of Michael Jackson. And they just use that as like a background beat to something else. And I'm like, all right, okay. Uh, TikTok content. How much of it is just, hey, there's that one song that everybody knows. I'm just going to slip this over and just kind of dance to it. The number of YouTube shorts and, and Instagram reels that I'm seeing that are literally just someone else's YouTube short that some dude is watching and you watch this guy watch that short and nod to it and shake his head and go, yeah, man, that's not content. At what point is that content, right? So we seem to be okay <laughs> with stealing shit from people as long as it's for the benefit of making money and that is mind-boggling to me right the the saying bullshit baffles brains keeps coming back to mind for me yeah i should probably get that tattooed if i ever get a tattoo that's probably going to be it but 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 seriously like at some point i i see this in the, like where, where this works and i and i agree with you right like if i had to do a generative soundtrack i would want it in layers i would want the 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 drum uh you know the drum line and a separate midi output i'd want you know the the electric guitar line and a separate midi output and things like that if i was to compose something generatively and we kind of do that with samples and and loops and things like that but in the music industry all of those loops and samples are extremely well controlled in terms of uh in terms of copyright right uh we haven't seen ai hit the music generation nearly as easily as we've seen the image generation um but yeah, it, it, it boggles the mind, right? Even if you could get that in layers, is the right attribution going to the right people? It's a huge issue. And I mean, like back to the GitHub Copilot thing, didn't, didn't they just get like a lawsuit filed against them earlier this month? Not this month, uh, a month ago in early November. It's, I, I mean, I didn't really think about it that way, but now I'm like, hey, hang on. I've got bucket loads of code at, at companies that I work for with, sensitive ip right you're talking defense contract software 
that I've created that I know for a reason, hey, you should use this only to a level of proof of concept or, okay, this is actually an uh, like code that works and is tested well and works for this. But if I know that part of that code could uh, potentially end up in the hands of someone where it doesn't really make sense and they don't really know the context and the limitations of that code, particularly if it's machine learning models, that freaks the crap out of me. So I, 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 I see there being at some point other companies coming up. Uh, I don't know what GitLab does, whether they have any kind of co-pilot move that they're going to as well, but I'm seeing companies moving to GitLab. They're happy to change provider. It's just GitHub. It's a source repository. Uh, like how, how long until there's someone else that just provides something? Dags Hub came across for data scientists and actually presented a little bit of a market threat at some point to a very small proportion of people. True, but I don't think we're limited from saying, oh, we'll just use a different platform then. Um, and I think that will happen if we see more of this. I think the issue is that it's a little less traceable when you're talking about generative stuff, right? How can I provably say that this piece of content came from me when it's a generated image that kind of looks similar, but is different enough because it's amalgamated from a few billion other images. Um, yeah. It's still, it's still the human that has to give the prompt, that has to supply those ideas with their own creativity, even though it might be sampling from, from a bunch of different things. So I think it was yesterday. Yes, it was yesterday. I did a, uh, uh, AMA session with Dr. Tristan Burns, who made like a, uh, he, he's called a hexagon machine. Look him up on Spotify, look him up on YouTube. He does a lot of AI generated music. And it was interesting the way he, he, he did this. I think he, I think it was like 4,000 or 400,000 songs he sampled. And it was like MIDI files, songs transcribed as MIDI files. And, uh, he took that, those MIDI files, uh, turned them into musical notes and then used GPT two to create more musical notes that he then had to go and enter into like a synthesizer and, and you know whatever you use to make midi music with um but he's still the one that had to provide the the you know he's still the one that had to provide the the prompt and, and all that um yeah um so yeah the, the, i'm sure we can go on this for for forever if anybody wants to have one last closing thought let me know because i gotta start wrapping it up um shout out to everybody that's been here uh through it all uh go for it because the one last closing thought um everyone in the room i think the one thing that i've learned and what is it year and a half almost two years like year and a half that i've been joining this podcast uh happy hour whatever you want to call it um is that find yourself a room of people that can teach you just how much you don't know they can teach you just how much you don't have a clue. I'm looking at Vin. I'm looking at Greg, the knowledge bombs, Russell, Mickey, everyone across the room. I know uh, Joe, Joe's not in the chat anymore, but geez, like the knowledge bombs dropped by everyone in this room, you know, surge, surge, half the stuff you say in the chat on the side that I just wish you said it in the actual chat. I'm just like, okay, damn. Right. So everyone in this room, I'm, I'm not going to name more names because I'm just going to lose the list and we'll be here forever. But, um, find yourself that room where people teach you that you just don't know, right? How much more you need to know. Uh, that's been this room for me over the last year and a half. I'm sure I'll find another room like that. I think I might have at work already, actually. Um, but um, yeah, find yourself that room, guys. If you're out there, you're looking for ways to grow and just learn where you are. Um, this has been really great. Thanks, Hapri. That's been amazing. You're welcome, man. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you all for for being here taking time to join like 
Like, uh, you know, all those times where I couldn't host for whatever reason, you guys stepped up and took over as host for me. Thank you for that. Thank you for being here and just chatting and creating, uh, helping me create this space. I would not have done it without you guys here. Um, I think this is, like I said, most important thing I've ever done career-wise. And I know it's like a lot of goodness has come from for everybody in this room just from being associated, affiliated with each other and just all the opportunities and things that are happening for everybody. I'm, I'm glad for y'all. I'm so happy. I'm excited to to see. Uh, I mean, we're we're still in touch, man. Like, you know, we're still we're still in touch. Most of us have each other's phone numbers, um, you know, various chats and all that. It's not like this is the the end. Um, you know, it's the, the, the end for now. But, you know, we got I got some with Mark and Mikiko coming up. I got my deep learning channel. I'm still podcasting, right? I'm still doing like AMA sessions where you guys can jump in and, and have conversations with uh, with experts and stuff. But yeah, it's been amazing last over two years. I really, really appreciate everyone here tuning in. If you're listening on the podcast, I know there's a lot of you listening after the fact. Shoot me an email. You guys know my email address, the artist of data science at gmail dot com. Uh, appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much. And remember, my friends, you got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone.